0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We want to start, as always, by thanking our new patrons, Johanna Friend, Casey Bell, Mads Lively, Jenny Shoemaker, Bex, and Tony Hambin. We couldn't do this without you. Our patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord. There, you can chat with us about the show, or whatever else is on your mind. We've got bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Different tiers get stickers, t-shirts, and coffee mugs, too. Just look for a link in the show notes.
1: Oh, patrons also get a second monthly story every month.
0: Patrons do get a second monthly story every month. We always forget to say that at the beginning. So, what are you waiting for?
1: What are you waiting for?
0: Sign up at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. And we have a big announcement for this fall. We are going to be doing a Halloween series unlike anything we've done before on the 13 feed. If you've been with us since we made Olive Hill, this series is the same length, but with all the bells and whistles of a 13 episode. We're producing this five-part miniseries that will run weekly. Weekly? Yes, weekly. Between September 13th and October 13th.
1: But what if they're already Patreon supporters?
0: Well... If you support us on Patreon, you'll get the whole series, all five fully produced episodes on day one. Help us pull this off by supporting us on Patreon. You'll get the series early and maybe a few other surprises along the way. One of those rewards will be five signed copies of the script sent to randomly selected patrons who sign up before September 13th. This will include all of our existing patrons and new ones that sign up before release day. If you're a patron, you're in the running, period. Speaking of second monthly stories, which we've had for our patrons for a very long time, (laughs) and in keeping with our summer tradition of running double features, here are two second stories from the previous year that have been Patreon exclusive until now. We're releasing them here for you while we work on our September and October series. The first is In the Library by Jerry W. Simmons, narrated by Kayla Temschiv. And the second is Three Card Pull by M. Regan, narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. These stories have some fantastic new sound design and music by the impeccable, unflappable, and just darn right talented Kayla Britchie. And now, on with the show.
1: In the Library, by Jerry Simmons, narrated by Kayla Temshiv. The library doors lock at exactly 2 a.m. Although it officially closed a few hours earlier at midnight, the staff needed to ensure that any overly studious students were not left behind in the old six-story building. At closing time, the lights were shut off over the long aisles of books and the metallic clink of the lock on the front door echoed throughout the halls. The staff headed home, bracing themselves for another busy day of managing the library during finals week. I crouched on all fours on the coarse old carpet and peered through the row of encyclopedias, observing the nighttime security guard walk his rounds. I had been in the library hundreds of times before and the layout of each floor was engraved in my memory. In front of the massive wooden staircase, the sixth floor was laid out in a large, carpeted square. On each side were forty horizontal rows of books stretching out to far walls, a middle walkway a few yards wide serving as a path between the ancient collections. Several old-fashioned couches and chairs dotted the walkway, splotchy from age and neglect. On the back wall were several rows of vertical bookshelves, in front of large, glass-paned windows that looked out onto the darkened university. The security guard gazed lazily at the seemingly endless aisles of dirty old books and splintering bookshelves. The shelves were at least eight feet high and seemed to dwarf the short man. Occasionally, he pulled out his phone, swiping mechanically without missing a beat in his step. As he continued toward the back wall, I scurried stealthily in the opposite direction, ensuring that I was well hidden. The guard saw nothing that piqued his interest as he approached the far side of the room. With a grunt, he did an about-face and headed back toward the stairs. He pulled out his phone one last time before descending. A small blast of air snorted out of his nose as he chuckled at something on the screen. As an afterthought, he flipped off the light switch by the staircase with a practiced movement before heading down the steps to the floor below. The overhead fluorescent tubes above me shut off abruptly, encasing the entire floor in total darkness. The heavy footsteps of the guard clopped down the creaking stairs, slowly fading into the lower floors of the building. I smiled, reached into my backpack, and pulled out my headlamp. I strapped the device onto my forehead, internally laughing as I remembered my trip to the sporting goods store to purchase it. I was a far cry from an outdoorsman, and had felt quite awkward walking around the tents, guns, and backpacking gear. As the beam of my flashlight illuminated the ragged books around me, I felt proud of my worthwhile investment. I padded out onto the carpet of the middle walkway, searching for a chair that would be worthy of my late-night cram session. I passed over several unsuitable candidates, which included a couch with an odd floral pattern that appeared to be dated from at least the 1960s. Mildew had turned the green and red design a sickly dark hue. I almost gagged at a large water stain that covered the entire right cushion. I continued up the aisle, eventually coming upon a faded red easy chair. It was relatively clean, especially when compared to my other options. I sat down on the sinking cushion and knew immediately that this was where I wanted to spend the rest of my night. Full of excitement, I grabbed the back of the chair and dragged it toward a darkened aisle of books, doing my best not to make a sound. Fortunately the chair glided over the carpet with ease, and at last I was able to enjoy the fruits of my efforts, walls of books guarding my sides. My hands shook with excitement as I pulled the textbook from my backpack. The cover of Fundamentals of Internal Economic Geography was lit up in its full glory beneath the beam of my headlamp. I took a long look at the plethora of books that surrounded me, the bittersweet smell of aging paper wafting down the aisle. A smile of satisfaction crept over my face. Before I started my marathon of studying, I had to prepare. I reached into my backpack once again and fished out my performance-enhancing medication. The Adderall bottle clinked as I twisted off the childproof cap and shook out two of the orange and white pills onto my palm before popping them into my mouth. I had told myself that I would quit using them this semester, and I had kept that promise. But it was finals week, and I hadn't been able to concentrate for almost a month now. My asshole of a roommate was always playing video games at 3 in the morning and just being an annoyance in general. The library had become my only haven. Since finals had begun, each floor was packed. Even the scarcely used fifth floor was filled with noisy students. That was why I'd hatched this scheme. I would stay locked in the library all night long until it opened the next morning. No one would disturb me. No annoying roommates or chatty Greek life students. Just me and my books. All I needed to do was avoid the security guard who would be lounging downstairs playing on his phone the entire time. I felt a rush to my head as the Adderall coursed through my veins. I flipped open the economics textbook and began to vigorously scan the pages. Topics like inflation, supply, and demand all raced through my brain. My mind had never been clearer as the yellow highlighter glided gracefully over every single important idea and key turn. Darkness and silence surrounded me in my solitude. The only audible noise was the rustling of textbook pages and my low breathing. My pupils expanded as the sentences in the book forced their way into my brain, effortlessly organizing into compact and understandable concepts. The drugs were certainly doing their job, but something felt off. My heart palpated quickly as breath came out of my nose in labored snorts. The words of the textbook became blurry, seeming to slide around in a jumble on the white pages. I blinked quickly, trying to shake the slush in my brain as sweat gathered in beads on my temples. It had been a while. The pills were too much. I reached into my bag and brushed my shaky hand against the Jack Daniels bottle hidden inside. I ripped off the top and took a swig the harsh liquid burned my throat and caused me to sputter bracing myself i took another long draw before replacing the cap and stowing away the bottle immediately a feeling of bliss and mellowness overtook my body the edge from the adderall was still there but now at a controllable level i took a deep breath relieved that i had avoided what could have easily been a dire situation for a moment i sat in silence putting the pieces of my mind back together. With no time to waste, I picked up my highlighter and got back to studying. The next few hours were a blur. It was as if the book's information was being fed into my mind at warp speed. I popped a few more pills, and occasionally took swigs from the bottle to keep the high at equilibrium. At a certain point, I couldn't deny the unmistakable urge to use the bathroom. The inevitability of the situation hadn't even crossed my mind during my careful planning process. I was annoyed at myself for forgetting to factor in something as simple as a bathroom break. The nearest bathroom was on the fourth floor, which meant that I would have to risk walking down the stairs. I doubted that the security guard was making his rounds but I was terrified by the prospect that he had decided to actually do his job. The last thing I needed was a conduct violation. Being caught with the whiskey alone was enough to get me suspended for at least a semester. Frustrated, I set my book down and adjusted my headlamp. I pushed all negative thoughts from my mind and walked stealthily down the aisle of books, the headlamp my only beacon in the dark. I could see the vague outlines of the chairs and couches as I emerged in the middle walkway, but hardly enough to keep from tripping over them. A chair popped up right in front of me, and I had to keep from shouting out as I stubbed my toe in a hard corner. I stood a moment in the darkness, tongue in teeth, fighting to hold back the deluge of curse words struggling to force themselves out of my mouth. Then I heard rustling. It was undoubtedly the rustling of a book's pages. The sound came directly from the aisle of bookcases I had just exited. Confused, I peered into the darkness beyond my headlamp. I strained my ears to see if the sound would be repeated. There was nothing. Satisfied that I was completely alone, I began to creep down the wooden staircase, gingerly taking each step to keep the old wood from creaking. As I approached the bottom of the stairs, I was surprised to see there was a pale blue light emanating from somewhere in the darkness of the fifth floor. My immediate thoughts went to the security guard, but I quickly discounted those concerns. It would be odd for him to be up here with all the lights off. I adjusted the power of my headlamp to its lowest setting. The bright cone of light waned to a dim, ghostly circle that only stretched a few yards ahead of me. Cautiously, I stepped off the final step and walked onto the carpet of the fifth floor. The floor was arranged in a similar manner to the one above. The rows of splintering bookcases were identical, as well as the carpeted middle walkway. Further ahead, I could see the blue light. A curious sound accompanied the haze. Typing. The rhythmic clicking echoed into the darkness finding its way through the aisles of old books and right into my ears. My focused mind latched onto every key stroke, and each one seemed to drill its way into my skull. It was maddening. Although I was terrified of being caught, I felt compelled to discover who else was with me in what I assumed would be an empty building. I shuffled down the middle walkway, the dim headlamp illuminating the seemingly endless aisles of bookshelves. As I approached the back wall, the source of the light revealed itself. Several yards away, a table was pushed against the stained brick of the far wall. A figure sat with its back to me, hunched over a laptop. The otherworldly pale glow of the screen gave their lanky frame an almost otherworldly appearance in the bleak darkness. The keyboard clicked away incessantly. The stranger, either not noticing my presence, or too involved in their own work to be bothered. Something about the whole scene made my stomach churn. Was it possible that there was another student who had the same radical idea as me? That didn't seem very likely. My initial thought was to turn tail and gather my things. Perhaps even to attempt a dash for the back door if I could get past the guard. I didn't like the idea of being alone in that huge, empty, and dark, six-story building with a stranger. But... maybe... if I were to introduce myself, we wouldn't be strangers. Right? It had to be another student, right? I needed to be sure if I was going to stay. I crept forward, aisles of books passing by my sides. The keys on the laptop clicked away at a maddening rate, the volume of the sound climbing as I approached. As I neared the stranger, my headlamp illuminated the back of its head. A balding and blotchy scalp gave way to a few strands of wispy gray hair that trailed down to almost shoulder level. The skin on the back of the neck was pale and pasty. An old, ragged, tan suit clothed the stranger. The tattered patches on its elbows reminded me of an old-timey professor. They didn't seem to hear my footsteps shuffling on the coarse carpet. The clicking continued. I was entranced by the blue computer screen, like a wizard gazing into an orb. I shuddered as the light revealed overgrown nails mashing against the keys. The clicking ceased abruptly. I held my breath. Slowly, the stranger turned around to face me, the old wooden chair creaking as it did so. In the faint light of the headlamp, all its ghastly features were revealed in stark detail. Bloodshot eyes burrowed into its pale face, the mouth slacked and opened to one side, eyes wide as if it had just seen a ghost. They grew wider as they focused on me. After a moment of silence, the stranger began to howl like an animal, screeching, screaming in a frequency that sent chills down my spine. The light on the headlamp flickered and went dark. I let out my own scream of sharp terror and shut my eyes against the howling banshee that I'd stumbled upon. When I opened my eyes, the stranger was gone. My headlamp was functioning, illuminating the empty desk where it had been sitting just a moment before. The rickety wooden chair was pushed neatly beneath it. Purely on instinct, I turned and bolted for the staircase, rushing up the steps two at a time and nearly stumbling as I approached the sixth floor. I cranked my headlamp up to its full power, sprinting down the aisles of books. At last, I arrived at the aisle where I'd hidden my belongings. With only my headlamp to light the way, I stumbled toward the old easy chair and my backpack that sat on top of it the vertical shelves at my sides full of dusty old reference books seemed to reach all the way to the ceiling. I shuffled my belongings into my backpack with trembling fingers. My mind tried to rationalize what I had seen. Was it just a figment of my imagination? There was no way to be sure. The only thought that I felt certain of was that I had seen something sinister. And that something had struck terror into my soul. After a moment of hesitation, I swung the backpack over my shoulder and followed my headlamp down the tunnel of forgotten books. I looked diligently to my sides, briefly shining the light down each aisle of books, hoping not to catch the glint of pale skin and bloodshot eyes. I was halfway to the staircase when I saw it again. Its lanky form slouched forward, crooked neck bent towards the aisle of books across from it. Only my own shallow breathing and the shuffling sounds of the stranger's bare feet on the coarse carpet could be heard. My fear stuck in my throat. It carried on to its destination. Maybe it didn't see me. It kept lumbering forward. It didn't acknowledge my presence. But then, it stopped. It made a jerking motion in my direction. It was turning to face me. Bloodshot eyes peered straight into mine as the stranger's slack jaw turned upwards into a sinister grin. And then, it disappeared. I waited for a long time. Waited for my breath to calm. Waited for the adrenaline to run its course. I was going to make my escape. I stood up and readied myself to make a break for the exit. I turned the corner fast and ran as hard as I could. As soon as I crossed the threshold into the stairwell, I turned to go down, and there it was. Face to face, only inches away. Then, I saw nothing. I awoke, dazed on the stair landing. Bright fluorescent lights overhead shined directly into my eyes. I lay on my back, palms upturned to the ceiling. Drearily, I observed my right hand as the fingers twitched involuntarily, curling and uncurling without any input from my brain. My heart palpated heavily in my chest, and breathing was a chore. The thought of movement, of standing up and facing my surroundings went through my head. Unfortunately, mobility didn't seem to be an option. My eyes adjusted to the dizzying light To my surprise, the security guard stood over me. He held a cell phone to the side of his face, gesticulating anxiously and speaking rapidly. With a grunt, he put the phone away and shouted down at me. He got down on one knee and snapped his fingers inches from my nose. I blinked rapidly as the guard went in and out of focus. Beads of sweat dripped down the lines of his worried face. I closed my eyes for a moment. And I opened them to see a paramedic crouched over me. At some point, an oxygen mask had been placed on my mouth and fresh air was forcing its way into my lungs. The paramedic held my hand in his own, two fingers against my wrist. He shook his head like a disappointed parent as the vital signs didn't match up with his expectations. Another paramedic walked up to the scene and patted his partner on the shoulder. With a smile, He revealed the empty Adderall container and a fully drunk whiskey bottle. Both snickered and shook their heads. How was that possible? I knew there was no way I had taken so much. These and a thousand other thoughts raced through my brain as they strapped me onto a stretcher. A thick blanket was thrown onto my miserable form. Someone jabbed IV tubes into my arm, but I didn't feel a thing. Everything was too numb for my apparent overdose. Weightlessness overtook me as both paramedics hefted the stretcher. I was helpless to protest as they wheeled me around and proceeded to go down the nearest set of stairs. I took one final look at the top of the staircase, which led to the sixth floor. When I did, I could still see the stranger. We made eye contact. The slack mouth turned upward into that same sinister grin. Lines on the pale and sunken flesh pronounced in the light. I began hyperventilating. The paramedics sent me down. One of them reached into his gear bag and pulled out a syringe. They jabbed me with a sedative. My eyelids closed as I drifted into a restless sleep.
0: Three Card Pull by M. Regan I don't believe in destiny. It's not a matter of belief. To be honest, I don't think people really believe in anything anymore. Belief is a liminal concept, too nebulously in between the solidity of knowing or not knowing. People want one or the other. This or that. One or zero. Things are simpler that way. Without having to acknowledge the incomprehensible void of possibilities lurking in the emptiness that separates numbers. Without the unquantifiable hindrance of faith leaving mold gray smears across the city's white gold piping, its network of obsidian cables. No one needs that sort of festering. Anything less definite than certain, only serves to make things messy or overly complicated. And there are enough tangles in the timeline of a life without ambiguities making knots out of things. The red cord plugged into my ankle unfurls before me, inexorable and smooth, simple and straightforward. There is no belief involved in its guidance. Faith isn't required. Only obedience is. Only an understanding of inevitability. And the only thing that I need to do with my red cord is follow it, just as everyone else follows theirs. Well, almost everyone else. Presumably. Probably. I have to imagine that somewhere in the world, if not within the city's boundaries. There are people who fight against their tethers. But I suffer no delusions about the results of those efforts. There is a reason, I hear, that the tarot parlors are all called the hanged man. Twice a day, I pass my district's iteration of the hanged man once when walking to the office in the morning and once when returning home in the evening the edifice is bright and it is loud and it is always open always there much as it always has been much as it will always be i assume i don't frequent such establishments myself they intrigue me of course because that is what they are designed to do That is their purpose. Be they built by spider or man, webs are woven to ensnare. And the macabre, so history has proven, is just another type of thread that can be twisted around the mind. But for all my skittering thoughts about grotesque, beckoning limbs, my own cord has never indicated that I ought to venture inside that parlor. So I haven't. I don't. I walk down the covered streets. I take the brass gilded trains. I visit businesses, restaurants, various shops. I tread and retread the 1,842 steps between my apartment and my cubicle, networking with those people whose cords intersect with mine and forging attachments to them directly proportional to the frequency of our interactions. It is the way that things work. It is the way that I work. It is the way that things work and the way that I work until one day, it isn't. Well, what are you waiting for? I consider the slot machine before me. The glassy curve of its face, The ornate inlay that trims its sides. The illumined cursive which spells out its name. Three card pull. That looping script proclaims. The scarlet glow of it blisters my eyes and I feel stupid for having incited that pain. There had been no purpose in looking. Every slot machine is called three card pull much as every tarot parlor is called the hanged man. A triad of reels sits blankly before me, black on white, and ready to be spun. The air echoes, riled by concealed gears. I imagine square teeth slotting, grinding, winding up coils till they're tight as a smile. The automaton's body is connected to nothing. Nothing. It's entirely cordless. What might be hiding behind that facade? What might be living within this machine? Could I ask? Could I peek? I shouldn't. What if I accidentally broke something? How would I explain myself? The machine I was directed towards is in the middle of its row, and the three-card pull on its right wears an out-of-order sign. Perhaps I could look inside that one instead. No, no, that's not what I'm here for. That's not what I'm meant to do right now. Right now, I'm meant to, i meant to. I mean, you don't have to pull it, but if you're going to, there's no time like the present. The machine is mocking me. I consider three card pulls lever. The rod is naked metal, exposed like a bone. It's in by an apple red bobble. The crest of that orb is organically glossy, polished by the skin oil of innumerable parlor guests. Electronics trill shrilly. There's some sort of song playing on loop. Its major key melody turned minor by a glitch in the building's ancient audio system. Should I? It feels like a ridiculous question. I am hardly the only one in this establishment. I can see what the others are doing. They're pulling the levers. They're considering the readings given by the reels. Then they are leaving. It's as simple and straightforward a task as anything I've ever been directed to do. But why was I directed here? Why now? Why today? Three card pull size. it's tinny voice crackling in its sponge-covered speakers. As I said, you don't have to. But am I meant to? Are you meant to do anything? I blink. My fingers twitch reflexively. Well, yes. Of course. Obviously. That's the whole point of the red cord. The reason that no one needs to believe in things like destiny. If I was guided here, it must be for a reason. And if the only thing there is to do in this place is play three-card pull, Then... then... Then I suppose that answers that, doesn't it? I have never known an automaton to sound so unimpressed. Though, I suppose, I've also never really taken the time to talk to one. The ghost in the machine scoffs at me. Let's see what fate has in store for you and be done with it, shall we? The lever has heated beneath my palm, warm to such a degree that it's difficult to tell where plastic ends and flesh begins. I pull. It feels like shaking a hand. The moon, the High Priestess, and the Queen of Cups reversed. Hours later, The physics-blurred rider weight imprints still haunt the space behind my eyes. They consume my vision, my thoughts. What had been physically difficult to see beyond in The Hanged Man, even as my red cord tugged me from the premises, has, by the evening, almost literally blinded me to everything else. I stare at my bedroom ceiling and perceive only prophecy the moon, the high priestess, and the queen of cups reversed. With every flutter of my lashes, I see the reels spinning to a stop, the punch cards snapping into place, one after the other, after the other. The moon, the high priestess, and the queen of cups reversed, then a crisp, carnivalesque chime. In the empty dark, in the back of my mind, I hear again the machine's hum, the thoughtful, hollow-organ drone of three-card pull as it thrums. Then, there, the sub-audible pulse had called lessons on peristalsis to mind. Here, now, my own bowels twist. You're heavily dependent on your intuition guiding yourself through life in the same way that a snake might coax itself into eating its own tail. It is a tendency that feeds your need to martyr yourself. As does knowing, if only subconsciously, that the structure of this society offers naught but the pretense of safety. The silence that followed this explanation is somehow worse when replayed in the quiet. I try to remember the parlor's cacophony as clearly as I do the rest of my exchange with the automaton. That's it? I had demanded, incredulous, unsure. That is my fortune? The machine wasted no time in correcting me. No, that is your reading. For today, at least. It may very well be different tomorrow. If you come back tomorrow, tomorrow, would I be back tomorrow? Would I see again the moon, the High Priestess and the Queen of Cups reversed? Would I want to? Did I want to? Do I want to? The hope and fear of change rolls around in the back of my brain, gaining grit, Growing nacreous layers, it is getting bigger, louder, clattering against my skull, beating against my inner ears, making me wonder about the world. Could it yet open to me? I scowl at the walls, disbelieving. It is the same scowl with which I assaulted three-card pull when I snapped. I don't understand. How could it be different? Tarot is a window to the future, isn't it? And my future won't change. Even if it led me somewhere new today, the end of my cord remains attached to the same destiny. The lights of the machine were bright. So bright. They did not so much as blink. They did not need to. I considered closing my own eyes. Hoping that might dampen the pain. But all thoughts of doing so were forgotten when Three Card Pull responded Yes, your destiny remains the same. It wasn't agreement. It sounded like agreement. It seemed to agree. But there was a tangential quality to its affirmation and to its tones and impassiveness that I could not cannot help but think inverted its reply we were i realized much too late talking in circles easing around the circumference of some other greater question alone in my bed i reach down to grip the base of the cord fettered to my ankle holding to it as others might the end of a rope it helps to keep me in this moment It helps to keep me here. Moments pass. Night's end. Here becomes there. The moon, the High Priestess, and the Queen of Cups reversed. I do not want them to be defined again. I interrupt when Three Card pull tries. What did you mean? What did you mean when you said yes there's no need to explain my question. This is the same machine, and it was built with an impressive amount of memory. All such mechanisms are. Many people, too, these days. Even a few of my coworkers have had upgrades. Three card pull begins to reset its separate reels, ticking successively through decks worth of surreal imagery. Click, 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 click. Click, click. I meant that everyone is, ultimately, destined for the same end. The machine's answer keeps pace with that staccato beat. Click, click, click. Like nails drumming over chromium plates. Click, click, click. Like the second hand of a clock. But as you learned yesterday, sometimes the route will change, sometimes life leads you somewhere that you don't expect, and sometimes you decide a new path for yourself. I glower, watching reproachfully as click, 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 three tenebrious rectangles slot back into place. But if I end up, where I'm destined to be, regardless, is the route itself even important? Does what I do on the new path matter at all? Do I even really get to choose? If the options available are designed to lead me to the same place, can I even say that I made any decisions on my own? Three Card Pull considers this its stagnant reels redolent of gaps in a polished, rictus smile. Then, finally, the ghost in the machine replies. Choosing to follow, choosing to obey, choosing to accept are all still acts of choice. Perhaps it was always my destiny to become an automaton, or perhaps it was merely my destiny to die. And the form that my death took was the decision I did not recognize I was making. Who's to say? Does it matter? Does anything? My red cord tenses, tugs, if gently. I need to go. I am meant to be elsewhere. If I stay any longer, I'll... If I don't leave soon, I'll be late for work that does not feel as important as it once did. What makes a thing matter? Why should things matter? What dictates importance? What is more important? The authenticity of an emotion, or how deeply it is felt? The reality of freedom, or the assumption that one is free? the illusion of choice, or the fact that choices are nonetheless made. I still don't believe in destiny. Does it matter? Does anything? The moon, the High Priestess, and the Queen of Cups reversed. The tug isn't gentle anymore. My ankle hurts. My ankle throbs. But you believe, even now, you believe that free will is possible. I am not programmed to debate the concept of free will. I'm not asking for a debate. I'm asking for the answer to a question. I believe that tripping and falling is an inevitability in a world so covered in cords. I don't believe in destiny. Blood is spilling down my ankle. I think it's blood, anyway. It trails along behind me, marking my path through the parlor with a thin, unspooling line. Red, 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 tripping like the dawn. There is no one else in the hanged man. There is nothing else ahead of me. Nothing to follow. Nothing except three-card pull. I do not touch the lever. It does not offer a reading. The broken machine is still nestled beside it, the out of order sign propped against its side. Its decorative front panel has been left ajar. The door beneath it unlocked an invitation. I am reminded of primed scissors, of scythes and guillotines and jaws. I don't believe in destiny. I say it again. It is a whisper. There is so much blood on the floor. I don't... I don't. The more familiar three-card pull whirs its understanding. A warm sound in a cold room. Has it always been this cold? Have I? I am unbearably cold. Everything is cold. Everything except... Except. Beyond that open, mechanical mouth, I find a tangle of silvery innards. They are messy and overcomplicated, and yet bespoke in their arrangement. In the shape that their incomprehensible emptiness takes, a void of possibilities. I don't believe. The ghost in the machine beside me hums, blinks. Then, softly, it assures. That's fine, it's not a matter of belief. I draw in a breath, and then I close out the chill. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, you know the drill. Stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This month's double feature began with In the Library by Jerry W. Simmons, narrated by Kayla Temshiv, and the second story was Three Card Pull by M. Regan, narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette, with assistance from Bridget Howard and Ian Epperson. Music, editing, and sound design by Caleb Ritchie. Our producer level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Paul Doyle, Delta Tango, Jackie Kay, Jack Chaddock, Temple Ruff, and Emily Carroll. Thank you so much for your support. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. Merch, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. At some version of 13Pod or Pod13. Just look for the logo. We'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcasts.com. You can find that in the show notes, too. Bridget Howard wants you to meet her in the library. Thanks for listening. See you next month.